As you're being seated, if you'll find your Bible, open it up with me to Luke chapter 18. I also want to welcome those to the service that are watching by live stream today. Uh, We're going to be in verses 35 through 42. Whenever we get to Luke chapter 18, we find Jesus and the disciples. They are huddled up together. They seem to be off to the side of the street And they are in discussion. Perhaps they found a tree that they could gather under in order to find a little bit of shade. And as they talk, if they were to look in front of them, they would see a wall of rock and dirt and dust. And in that rock, there is a winding road. That winding road was known as the Jericho Road. It connected two cities, Jericho with the city of Jerusalem. They were about 18 miles apart, but here's the kicker. Jericho is located about 825 feet below sea level. Jerusalem is about 2,500 feet above sea level. And so it was a rigorous uphill climb through very rocky and hot areas. It was known as the way of blood because robbers would often attack isolated travelers and hurt them and take what they had. In fact, if you're familiar with the parable of the Good Samaritan, the context was the Jericho Road. As they wandered up the Jericho Road, they would go past the Wadi Gelt, which is known to us from Psalm 23 as the Valley of the shadow of death. There really is such place. It was a harrowing place to be in and to go past. As you would continue on the Jericho Road, you would go past Moses' tomb and you would go eventually up to what is called the Mount of Olives. It was there on the Mount of Olives that Jesus ascended into heaven. Then you would begin your descent into Jerusalem and as you came down from the mountainside, you go across past this garden known as Gethsemane, where in just a few days' time, Jesus would pour out his soul to God and he would pray beneath the olive branches as the moonlight flickered above. And eventually you would reach the eastern gate that opened the doors to Jerusalem and There Jesus would come into Jerusalem triumphantly, and even as he was being welcomed into the city, Fort Antonia and the Roman soldiers loomed just a few feet away, where Jesus would be tortured and tried. And so this is where Jesus and the disciples are, as they sit at the base of the road, and they look up to Jerusalem. And so the Bible says that He took twelve aside and told them, Listen, we are going up to Jerusalem. Everything that is written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. Now what I want you to realize today is that the journey along the Jericho Road was no accident. That the cross was no accident. That Jesus' divine destiny would take him up the Jericho Road, and it would also take him up to Calvary. It's why Jesus crossed the cosmos to take on flesh, because going up to Jerusalem is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. The cross is 
no accident. Whenever you begin to open the Bible and you start out with, in the beginning, God created, very shortly thereafter, the scriptures begin to point to Jerusalem. The Passover of Exodus chapter 12 points to Jesus' blood, which must be shed for our sins. The Day of Atonement of Leviticus chapter 17 points to Jesus dying as our substitute. The bronze snake of Numbers chapter 21 points to Jesus as the object of our faith. The living redeemer of Job chapter 19 points to Jesus as the resurrected Lord. The forsaken king of Psalm 22 points to the fact that what came out of the grave was not merely meant to be contained to Jerusalem, but Jesus is the hope for all nations. The Old Testament reveals to us a holy God. And here's the challenge of a holy God being revealed to you. When you see the righteousness, the holiness, the standard of God, it also shines light upon the insufficiencies of our soul. It reveals to us our shortcomings. It reveals to us our sin. And so as we read the pages of the Old Testament, a discovery is made. No matter how hard I try, no matter how good I am, no matter how many church services I attend, which is a good thing, by the way, no matter what I do, I cannot be good enough to reach God's righteous standard. And so with every turn of the page of the Old Testament, we begin seeing the prophets tell us that we are being pulled aside and we are being told, listen, this is where this is headed. We are going to Jerusalem because God has to do something for us that we could never do on our own. God has to take on flesh, live the life that we could never live, take on the wrath of God upon the cross, take that wrath into the grave and conquer death so that all who believe might have forgiveness of their past, hope for today, and purpose that lasts for all eternity. The cross was no accident. It was God's divine destiny for his son. And so Jesus pulls the disciples aside and says, look, we are going up to Jerusalem. Well, the story continues in verse 35. As he drew near Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging. Bartimaeus was a, a, a normal young man. I can imagine that whenever his mom and dad welcomed him into this world, that uh, they had a lot of hopes and dreams for him. As a little boy, Bartimaeus, by the way, if some of you guys are looking for a future name for his son or grandson, Bartimaeus, I think that's on the all-name team. But as a little boy, I envisioned Bartimaeus winning the Enthusiasm Award at the Jericho Preschool. He had a lot of friends because you never knew what he would do or what he would say. Anybody have a child like that? Yeah. He was well-rounded. He was gifted and talented. He had a bright future ahead of him. But then one day, his bright future began to grow dim. His eyesight began to fade. At first, this really didn't seem that odd. In the ancient world, a lot of people would have eye problems, but before long, Bartimaeus was totally blind. And along with the loss of sight came the loss of dream. 
In the ancient world, it was seen as a curse to be blind, and so Bartimaeus had to realize that he would never be a great warrior. He would never own his own farm. He wouldn't have a fishing business. He wouldn't be a carpenter. His divine destiny appeared to be to sit alongside the road outside the city and day after day beg for money. His ultimate goal each day was simple. Have enough people give you enough money to survive that day. Well, the story continues in verse 36. The Bible says, Hearing a crowd passing by, he inquired what this meant. Jesus the Nazarene is passing by, they told him. And so he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then those in front told him to keep quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now in this arid, rocky, dusty desert, Jericho was an oasis. It was known as the City of Palms. It was fed by some springs, and many of their streets were lined with palm trees. It had rich, fertile farmland. It had entertainment options. The wealthy of Jerusalem would often retreat to Jericho for vacation, for relaxation, and it was a perfect spot for a beggar because he could sit alongside the street and wealthy people would come by and he could hope to gain enough money to survive. And this was the biggest week of the year. It was Passover week, which meant thousands of people were going to be coming up this lonely road and thousands of people would pass by and Bartimaeus knew he had to be on his game. He knew this was an important week. But then he hears a commotion. And he begins to ask his friends, tell me, what's going on? What is all this, this noise? I hear all these people talking, and they say, Jesus the Nazarene is passing through. And Bartimaeus remembers the stories that he has heard about Jesus. And he heard about how the crippled were healed and they could walk again. And he heard about how other people that had the plight of blindness were also healed and they were able to see. And he begins thinking, this is my chance. I'm not going to miss it. Yesterday, my two-year-old Camden, he began scream singing. Anybody ever heard a toddler scream sing? It's not beautiful music. But he was, just, he was singing some song. I, I don't know exactly what it was. Probably one of Paul Reed's songs, I'm sure. And, and he just started screaming it out as loud as he could. And you could hardly make any of it out. And, and we would say, Camden, be quiet. And the more we would tell him to be quiet, the louder he would sing. And he just thought it was so funny. We were like, man, be quiet. Ah! You know? Well, that's how, that's how Bartimaeus was. He was loud and he was relentless. And the crowd was like, quiet down, Bartimaeus. You're hurting our ears. Stop this nonsense. You're making a scene. But no, this was his shot at seeing. And nothing was going to get between him and Jesus. Now let me ask you this question. How do you respond when the crowd tries to get between you and and Jesus. There's a lot of people in the crowd these days that really want Christians to just sit down 
and be quiet. It's okay for you guys to have your little churches, but just keep it there. Just keep your beliefs to yourself. Don't really try to take your faith and share it with anybody else. You know, mission work should just be passing out water or something of that nature. Don't really tell people about Jesus. Remember your place and keep it quiet. How do you respond when people try to get between you and Jesus? I think we can learn something from Bartimaeus here. Nobody is going to keep me from telling everybody about somebody who can change anybody. When the crowd tries to get between you and Jesus, don't sit down and be quiet. Keep pressing forward. You don't have to be obnoxious about it. You don't have to slap people around with a 100-pound Bible. But our faith is meant to be shared. Our faith changes us from the inside out. And one of the beautiful things about the gospel is that nobody is beyond the reach of grace. Everybody can be changed through the power of the gospel. Your neighbor, that family member, that friend, that person you think is just a long, long way from God, everybody can be changed from the power of the gospel, through the power of the gospel. And frequently people need them to minister to them. You say, Lash, what is ministry? Often ministry is about finding the Bartimaeus in the crowd. It's finding the person that everybody walks past that nobody notices but that person that is hurting, that is longing for somebody just to reach out to them. And so the Scriptures say that Jesus stopped in verse 40, and He commanded that He be brought to Him. And when He drew near, He asked Him, What do you want Me to do for you? Now, it was possible that Jesus had been teaching. In fact, Rabbis often, when they would travel in between communities, they would use that time to teach. And so the crowds would gather around the teacher, and as they would walk, the rabbi would teach. And so perhaps the people wanted to hear Jesus and his sermon, and they were telling Bartimaeus to be quiet because he would interrupt. But Jesus wanted to hear from Bartimaeus. And so he comes to him, And he asked them this question. It's somewhat of an odd question to ask a blind beggar. But he says to him, What do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus, what is it that you really want from me? Do you want money? We can get you money. Maybe, Bartimaeus, you want a job. We can help with that. Bartimaeus, do do you want food from me? I can get you Chick-fil-A on Sunday. I'm Jesus. (laughs) You like that, Amy? Uh, What is it that you want from me, Bartimaeus? Well, Bartimaeus knew that he didn't need things. Bartimaeus knew that he needed a new life. And he knew that he wanted to see And so he says, Lord. Now he started out saying, Jesus, son of David, and now he's saying, Lord. Lord, Master, God, I want to see. There's a theme in Scripture, and that is that when God sees our simple faith, God acts. 
You see this all throughout Scripture, that God desires for His people to respond to Him in faith and to place our simple faith, even if it's the size of a mustard seed, to take that faith and place it in Him because when we place our simple faith in an extraordinary God, incredible things can happen. And for whatever reason, God often waits for our faith before He acts. Now, some of you are like, okay, Les, I'm struggling with the theology here uh, because couldn't God act without my faith? After all, my faith doesn't, doesn't uh, it's not the catalyst. God does what He wants to do, doesn't He? Yeah, God can, God can act without your faith. He doesn't need your faith to give Him permission to act. So you say, okay, well, 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 then why does God sometimes wait? Why does God sometimes wait for His people to respond to Him in faith and then He acts? I don't know. I've been to seminary. I've tried to study it all and tried to figure it out. I don't know. I just see this over and over again in Scripture. That the divine creator of the universe often waits until he sees us respond to him in faith. And when, like Peter, we step out of the boat and step onto the water, that's when we often see God do things that only God can do. And in our fear, it's really easy to kind of wall ourselves in and build a stained glass monastery and kind of keep ourselves safe and begin living a life that is void of faith and void of risk and never take takes any chances and never does anything that's hard. We just kind of keep things nice and simple and sanitized so that everything is clean all the time and we really don't live life with faith. And the shame of that is when we don't live life with faith, we often don't get to see some of the things that would absolutely drop your jaw and cause you to stand in amazement of the God who created it all. When we're not willing to take those steps of faith, we often... We often miss it. And it's not because God's not in charge. It's not because God's not all-powerful. It's not because God's not speaking or or God's not doing great things because God is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. God is speaking. God is acting. God is in charge. But often, whenever we live a life void of faith, we just don't see it. We become like the blind beggar. And we miss it. And so Jesus comes to this man and says, what is it that you want? And Bartimaeus was trusting in Jesus to do what no one else could do. Bartimaeus had faith. And that faith prompted the Lord to act. Look at verse 42. Receive your sight, Jesus told him. Your faith has healed you. And instantly, he could see. And he began to follow him, glorifying God. All the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. So Jesus tells them, Bartimaeus, your faith has healed you. We've asked this question in every sermon throughout this series. What is it that God wants from me? Ultimately, foundationally he wants me he wants me to place the totality of myself in him and when we place our faith in the lord he begins to use our life magnify our life expand our life 
in ways that go beyond anything that we can do. And when we begin living a life that has faith, we begin seeing God act and we begin seeing God do things that only He can do. And I love verse 43. Because after receiving sight, what did Bartimaeus do? Did he go get a burger? Did he go home? No, the Bible says that after receiving sight, he followed Jesus. You see, when Jesus changes you, the natural reaction is to follow him. And then he began telling everybody about what had happened. I can just imagine as Jesus is walking up this road to Jericho, it's, we're talking 3,000 feet of descent. There were times, have you ever climbed a mountain of 3,000 feet of descent? It's hard. I mean, you're going to be breathing hard. I can imagine there were times that they're trying to get up this road, and Bartimaeus is going around saying, hey, I can see. This is great. He's telling everybody about what Jesus had done for him. You remember the hymn, Amazing Grace? Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch, a sinner like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Because the reality is, is that there's a Bartimaeus in each of us. Each of us have been blinded by sin. And in our sin, we are spiritually dead. We miss it. We don't see the real vitality of life. And we often sit alongside the road of life in quiet despair, just hoping things will get better. Truth be told, that's where many of us are today. Just sitting alongside the road of life, hoping that one day it'll get better. And so you came to church today, and there's a reason you made a choice. You decided, I'm going to get up and I'm going to come to church. What is it that you really want from Jesus? Why did you really come? Sometimes we come to church because we want good kids. And in our thinking, we think, okay, if I put them in the preschool ministry, then they'll come out of the youth ministry as good kids. Just kind of the way it works, right? Put them in over here, and there they are. They're good kids. So I'm going to go to church because they'll help me get good kids. Sometimes we come to church because we, we want a nice church. We have barbecues and friendships and laughter and hugs and we oh, it's just a nice place to be sometimes we come to church because we're thinking if i do that god will give me something i'll have a better job i'll have a happier life but what we really need from jesus is a miracle we need him to bring light into our darkness we need him to change us from the inside out we need to be transformed by the power of the gospel And your salvation is not just a one-time event and everything is good after that. Your salvation is a one-time event that brings forgiveness of your sins and assures your place in eternity. But your salvation continues to work within you as God continues to change you and to show you His will, His purposes, His ways. And when God really changes you, when you begin to see, life is never the same. Because you see everything through the eyes of the Savior. And so I say to those of you that are Christians in the room today, 
Are you seeing life through the eyes of the Savior? When you think about the kids God has blessed you with, are you seeing them through the eyes of the Savior? Are you seeing your role in their life as to be the one that God has put in their life to teach them and train them in the way that they should go so that as they leave, and thank God when that day comes, but as they leave, they live a life that glorifies God. Are you seeing that through the eyes of the Savior? Are you seeing your marriage through the eyes of the Savior? Are you seeing your career through the eyes of the Savior? You say, well, Ash, there's only certain things I can do at work. I get that, but every one of us can somehow leverage our career, our talents, our experiences for the pursuit of the gospel and the pursuit of Christ. The experiences and talents that you have are no accident. God has wired you together in such a way that you can make a contribution to the kingdom. Are you seeing that? Are we recognizing the fact that when we gather in this room, it's not just singing in a lesson and then we pray a little bit and give and we go home, but whenever we gather in this room, the people of God that live in this community are coming together to sing praises to the Holy God. Look at His Word. That Word is shining light into the depths of our heart and it's revealing areas where God is growing us and changing us and and the, the great result of our worship is a changed life that is reflecting Christ everywhere we go. Whenever you take a walk around your community, are you beginning to see your neighbors through the eyes of the Savior? Are you just seeing that they need to cut their yard? Are you seeing the world through the eyes of the Savior? Because that's what we really need. We need God to change us in such a way that we see life through the lens of Christ. And when He touches us, when He heals us, when we come alive in Christ... Nothing stays the same. And we want to follow Him. And we want to tell others about Him. And we want others to experience this. And we want to hear people praising God because we have experienced something that is praiseworthy. God has changed us. Are you seeing life through the eyes of the Savior? And then I have to ask this question as well. Have you ever had your moment? Has there ever been that moment in your life where for the first time you really trusted in Christ? You really placed the totality of your soul and your life in Him and embraced Jesus as Savior and Lord. Have you ever had that moment? We call that the moment of being born again or the moment of salvation. It's the moment when The sins of our past are forgiven when our eyes are opened and we come alive in Christ. And if you've never had that moment, I invite you to do so right now. Would you be so kind as to bow your heads with me, please, as the band comes forward and they're going to lead us in worship. You're here this morning and you say, Lash, I, I relate to Bartimaeus because I'm sitting alongside the road of life and I have that quiet desperation and what I really need today is a Savior. Well, I want you to take this moment, seize it, and call out to God right where you are. You can just quietly call out to God. You say, I don't know what to say. You can say something like this. Heavenly Father, I am a sinner and I bow my head before you asking for forgiveness for my sins and asking you to save me that I might come alive in Christ and see life 
differently. I need you, God, to change me. And so, Father, this is my moment, my moment of salvation, my moment when I trust you. And I pray, I pray that you'll forgive me and help me to follow you, to discover my divine path, to discover life that has joy and a joy that goes beyond even the darkest of days. A joy that doesn't stop at the valley of the shadow of death but goes through it and dwells in the house of the Lord forever. Father, save me today. In Jesus' name I pray. Our heads are still bowed around the room. Please keep your head bowed at this time if you would. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. But if today was your moment when you came alive in Christ, today was your moment when you embraced Christ as Savior, I'd like to know. I'd like to be a pastor to you. So would you just look up at me and let me, let me make eye contact with you? I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you. I just want to pray for you and encourage you. Would you just look up at me until I can make eye contact with you? Father, we are the people of God this morning who have gathered to worship your name, and I pray that we will not escape this moment without hearing from high. Pray, Father, that you will show us your truth and that the end result of our worship today will be our lives that testify to your goodness. So, Father, we stand together, we sing together, we give together, we pray together, we rejoice together, and we praise your name together because you are the almighty, good, gracious God who makes all things new. Help us to see it, not to miss it, and help us to praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's sing together.